In this episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast, we talk to young adult author Kristen Bishara about her sophomore novel, Vial of Tears. Kristen shares with us the familiar connection and inspiration behind this novel that begins with her great-grandfather in Lebanon in 1954. Sisters Sam and Rima are transported to the underworld after receiving a family heirloom from Lebanon containing a magical burial coin belonging to the immortal god Eshmoon. They must battle demons and gods do all they can to make it back home to their mother or face death. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Stay tuned for this episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. What's up, everybody? My name is Denny. And I'm Veronica. Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. The Vulgar Geniuses have dedicated the past two years to shining a bright light on BIPOC authors. We want to grow and make our shared love for community, art, and literature shine in the city beautiful. And that's where you come in. In our hope to bring our vision to fruition, we will need help raising $15,000 to fund these projects. $5,000 will go to help us improve our podcast, create book kits for Unleash the Genius Reading Initiative, and help us go to the FLA and ALA conferences. The remaining $10,000 will help bring our art and lit festival to a space like the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center. We have big plans for 2022, and it all starts with you. Orlando has been progressing toward bringing us amazing artists and creating literary spaces throughout the city. We want to add the Vulgar Geniuses name to the conversation and helping to define not just Orlando, but the South as another literary and artistic hub of the country. You have the opportunity to help us bring this dream to a reality. No amount is too small. To make a donation, go to www.vulgargeniuses.com and click on the donate button. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we have a very special guest on our show. We have none other than Kristen Bashara, who is our YA author of the month of November. Um, she wrote our our wonderful book. I, I hope you all read along. If not, we really hope that this interview, you know, sparks that interest, interest. in reading Bio of Tears. So here's a little info uh, for those who do not know uh, Kristen. Kristen is a writer of young adult fiction. Before becoming a full-time author, she completed an MFA in creative writing, worked as a copywriter, and taught writing at the university level. Kristen lives in Florida with her husband and two daughters and dogs. You may find her at kristenbashara.com and at Kristen Bashara on Instagram, and that's C-R-I-S-T-I-N-B-I-S-H-A-R-A follow her give her give her those those numbers up her follows because this book is definitely worth it welcome to the show thank you so much for having me I'm excited to be here that's awesome we're excited to have you here so this is the part of the show that I I give over (laughs) to Denny this is her favorite part we do this only with our young adult writers Denny take it away (laughs) so we do like a little rapid quick fire questions just to kind of warm up 
and you know see if your your answers would match ours <laughs> okay um, all right i'm a little scared but <laughs> don't be scared it's, it's all in good fun uh, first question would you rather have tea or coffee coffee for sure coffee for sure in the mornings i do drink tea at night but coffee coffee you are brave for drinking tea at night. I would be lit till three. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite Lebanese dish? Oh, man. Um, Sorry. Oh, that's tough. I mean, I love the bread. I mean, I love the pita bread. And I do make my grandmother's recipe. But um, growing up, I would have to say my favorite was this um, dumpling soup called shish barak, And it's homemade dough. And then homemade yogurt broth. And actually you make the yogurt too. So the yogurt in the yogurt broth is homemade. It's a lot of work, which is why I don't make it anymore. <laughs> um, and then you got to stuff the dumplings and yeah, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. That sounds good. That sounds really good. On cold nights. Right, exactly. So if you were to be hunted by a famous Ruha, who would it be? <laughs> A famous one? Yes. Ooh. Who would be coming after me? A famous <laughs> ghost? A famous ghost? Um, I don't know. I, I'm gonna have to I, I'm gonna have to come back to that one. I have no idea. Well, you know, I, when I, I wrote this question, and so I wrote it three different ways. And I guess I was really interested if if you were to be haunted oh, by haunted. that was I just thought you said I thought you said hunted. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no we, haunted. We 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 don't we don't want to we don't want to end you. We need. Well, you. you know they they are a little you know they're scary. So I thought you know we were talking like underworld um you know creatures coming after you kind of stuff. So haunted. Okay, okay. so go ahead <laughs> go ahead continue with continue with your explanations. <laughs> well, then I was thinking like what ghost what famous ghost would you want like just sitting in the corner of your house watching you not necessarily like you know scaring you but just was always there yeah um you know like can I talk to this ghost because I would have questions for so I um like one of the authors that I read a lot of while I was writing this book is Khalil Gibran who's a um, Lebanese poet um I have so many questions about his life um I read his biography and there's just like just so many gaps I feel like if there were like an up I would love to have you know, him in the room with me so I could just pick his brain and find out, find out more about his life and his writing and what inspired him. And there were things in his personal life I'd love to know about this. There's some, yeah, yeah, for him, for sure. Yeah, he would be my guy. So are you more like Sam or Rima? Oh, man. Well, I definitely have um, Rima's um, potty mouth. Um <laughs> I mean, she's like sort of the um, unfiltered, says what's on her mind. Um, you know, she's a little sassy. So I would definitely say that, yeah, Rima, Rima's dialogue was fun to write. Um, no, you know, Sam, actually, that's kind of funny because I was thinking about Sam and she is like, you know, like fight or flight instinct. She is fight all the time. Oh, yeah. I am like, bye. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> So, um, I like, you're on your own, go fight those monsters. So yeah, I would say actually, you know, even though Sam is my protagonist, I would say, yeah, probably Rima's more like me. 
Well, you, you summon a God in the middle of a pandemic, who would it be? Oh man. Well, I would have to have a healing God, obviously. Like, let's just get this done. We can just, we can yeah. send Eshman around and just heal everybody and we can be on our merry way. <laughs> that, was just, that was my answer too. Cause I work in a hospital. I'm a, I'm a nurse. So I'm gonna be like, come on, come on. My, my little God friend, he's not little, but he's a God. Come on, let's go cry your tears. And we, we, can we, can we just go I'm right, bring right. every day to work? Exactly. <laughs> Which just- is work. Yeah, it would be great if we could only, yeah. So um, in your acknowledgments, you thank your family, uh, your family members for helping you with the research for key elements of this book. Will you walk us through the research for Vial of Tears and what things that you and your family came into knowing that you all were unaware of at the start of this process? Yeah. So like it all started because my great grandfather discovered a collection of ancient coins in his village in the Lebanon mountains in like the 1950s, we think. Um, So like there's different versions of the story. He was either, they were digging a garden or they were um, digging to build the foundation of a house Um, There's versions of the story where they found this jug inside of a cave. But anyway, so they found supposedly there was a jug at the time, too. The jug has been lost. We don't know what happened to the jug. Um, But inside was a collection of coins, which we've all identified. My brother did all the research and he figured out they're all Greek and Roman coins are like, you know, roughly 2000 years old. Um, so like, I grew up hearing about this coin collection and I mean, like, how cool is that? Like you're, you know, they dug up this ancient collection of coins. So, um, that was the initial inspiration. And then I was like, okay, ancient Lebanon, um, mythology, Phoenicians. And that's when I really started digging into the Phoenician research. Um, my father was kind of like obsessed with the Phoenician culture, the Phoenician civilization, So I ended up with one of his books after he passed away about the Phoenicians. And that was like super special to me too, because I knew that he had read the same pages and he was interested in that, you know, the Phoenician culture, um, the civilization and, and um, that that had been a passion of his. So just knowing that like his hands had been on those same pages, reading those same words, you know, it just kind of made it, there was an extra connection there. Um, So, I mean, I learned a lot about, the geography of Lebanon, the, um, the history of Lebanon, the history of the entire Mediterranean, um, the trading routes, um, the wars, the, I mean, it was very game of Thrones back then too. I mean, it was just, you know, (laughs) a murder for a murder for power, you know, for, for trade, for, you know, it was, it's pretty incredible. The, the, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of manipulation of power in Vial of Tears among the characters. And that is definitely a reflection of like how things sort of functioned back then. You know, it was, uh, it was a dangerous time to live, honestly. It was, um, you know, pretty brutal. But um, what did I discover about my own family? I mean, I connected with cousins in Australia and Lebanon who I have never met in real life. Um, but like when you're the culture, the Lebanese culture is like, it doesn't matter like how far away you are. If you've never met, it's like, okay, your grandfather, 
and my, you know, my mother were like third cousins. And so like, we're family, <laughs> you know, like whatever. It's just like, if you can figure out, like, it doesn't matter how far back it goes. It's like, oh, you know, your family. So um, we were trying to hunt down the picture of my great grandfather, um, which we knew was hanging in um, his brother's house. So one of my great uncle's houses um, in the Lebanon mountains. And so a couple of cousins drove from Beirut up to the mountain village to try to get this photo for me for the back of the book. They couldn't get it out of the frame because um, it had been in there for so long. So they had to like scan it or take a picture of it still in the frame because it had been on the wall for like whatever, 50, 60, 70 years, I guess. Um, so yeah, so it, so it was great, you know, like just these phone calls were going back and forth. My, my aunt in Ohio was helping and my uncle in Ohio were helping and they're contacting cousins in Australia who were contacting cousins in Lebanon. <laughs> and then you factor in the time differences too. It was so funny. It was like, just, it was great to like connect with my larger family abroad, um, to just find some of the family research. And I feel like that's like so much the theme of the, of the book too, is that like Sam is, Sam and Rima are like disconnected from their heritage. They're, um, you know, they don't know their, their grandfather. They don't know their, their mother's native village. They don't know the, their own personal history in terms of like their ancestry and, um, and through their adventure, they become much more connected with family in the past, their, you know, their heritage, their culture, their, their upbringing, um, or, you know, the, the, Le their Lebanese side. So I, it was, you know, kind of a mirror of like what I was doing with my own research. It was like, okay, like I'm, I'm trying to bring some of that connection and some of that past back into the present. Um, How so, long did it take you to, to write? this book? Um, you know, that's like such a, I don't know if it's just me, like, or I don't know if all writers work this way, but like I started jotting ideas down like six years ago, but like I work on other stuff, you know, like it's just like, it's so when I say that, like, it took me six years to write it, it's not like I was like working on it every day for six years, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to take some notes. I'm doing some research. I have ideas. I'm formulating the cast of characters. I'm working on other things. I'll come back to it. Um, and then we did get delayed because of COVID. Um, so the book would have come out sooner. Um, so, you know, from the time that we signed the contract until the book actually came out, that was like, mm, it was a long time, honestly. Um, it definitely got, it was a, definitely COVID delay. I would say probably a year, maybe. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was a process. But I, when you were talking about you meeting like family members like all around the globe, that to me is so cool because I came from the Philippines, so I know my family over there. And then you know we're we're we have new family here in Florida, but to meet new people in different countries and just be like, yeah, if you're like a cousin of a cousin, as long as you have you have make that connection we're related and right. I, it would be so exciting for you to finally meet all of these people when when this 
thing blows over. Right. I would love to, I would love that. Yeah, for sure. I was supposed to go to Lebanon in August of 2020. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that got derailed. And now the political situation there is, you know, there's, it's, it's not a great time to go there now anyway, just, you know, even if COVID didn't exist, it, it would still be, you know, I'd, I'd be a little bit nervous about going right now. So we'll see, hopefully, hopefully someday soon. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, with this story, I know you, you talked about the time period it took you to write it. Um, but I, I, and you, you know, jotting down ideas, but I was just wondering, this is your sophomore novel. Were you still thinking, were you thinking about this particular book, even well beyond you releasing your first, your first book? No. So gosh, let's see. Well, I don't know. I have to think about the timeline. Um, no, I started writing this book. I started jotting down notes after like maybe a year after relativity came out. Um, so they didn't overlap at all. No, this, this, this was not an overlap. There was another manuscript that I was working on at the time, which I've come back to, and now I'm finishing that one up. So I guess I've sort of leapfrogged like over ideas and then I come back to them. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So I was working on the manuscript that I'm working on now was the manuscript that I was working on right after relativity. And now I'm coming, coming back to that one. Yeah. Why, why did you choose the underworld as the main setting of the, of the whole story, majority of the, of the story? Um, so I think once I sort of formulated the pantheon of gods, the cast of characters in terms of like the underworld, um, the, the, the deity that were the, um, the immortals that are in the underworld. And I knew that I wanted to have the God of death somehow in my story. I mean, like I, there was, there were some gods that were more interesting and other than others. And I thought, okay, well, this is definitely like a, you know, powerful figure that has a lot of potential. So I think once I decided that there was a healing God, that there was the God of death, um, I do love a good hero's journey. Like I, you know, I love a good relativity is a portal story too, you know, like getting transported into another world. So um, magical coin, um, Phoenician mythology. And then of course, like throughout the book, there's also the theme of death, the fine line between life and death. And Sam struggling with coming to terms with um, some of that, you know, in her own, I don't want to give too much away, but like, you know, that obviously is a theme that runs throughout her character arc. Um, and that that's something that she has to come to terms with. So like, what better place to figure out, like, you know, what death means, um, how permanent is death, how permeable is the boundary um, how do people exist to us, even if they are gone? Um, how do they still feel real to us, even if they aren't, um, physically here with us? So, um, I mean, just, you know, the underworld seemed like the absolute perfect place to have that kind of like tenuous, um, malleable boundary between, between worlds. Yeah. I have an appreciation for mythology. I've always liked mythology. That's why I think I like sci-fi, magic, like mystery, like, you know, speculative fiction a lot. And um, you did, when you're talking about death, you did this 
one thing like towards the end like you said I don't want to give it away <laughs> but you did this one thing towards the end that kind of like ex like it wasn't ex like it wasn't enough of explanation to me like oh so that's how ghosts do it so let's let's just <laughs> let's just keep it at that and I'm yeah. like oh and I'm like I I would buy this like if somebody told me that this is how it works I would believe it because I was like that is so fascinating and then just like you know the coming and going back of of our being into you know into different places that that was that was really um that was very fulfilling for me to read oh good I'm glad yeah but I don't want to give away what what I meant by that you just gotta read it that's a teaser right, right. Right. <laughs> she's yeah a teaser <laughs> Uh, Samira and, and Rima's relationship, um, it's written beautifully. Uh, it's easy for some writers to create siblings who are at odds with each other. Why did you want their devotion to one another to be as strong as it was throughout the novel? Um, I think part of it was that when I was creating Sam's character, I wanted her to be... Um, you know, she's sort of the surrogate mom for Rima, for both of them, honestly. I mean, it's like her, you know, their, their mom is, is not the most reliable person. Um, and so I wanted, because I think Sam is, she has taken on more responsibility than she should for her age. And um, she has assumed that parental role. So she is Rima's protector. Like she, you know, that's like, she takes that job very seriously. Um, so I think just setting up like Sam's conflict and what she's dealing with, with her parents, um, the nature of her dad, the nature of her mom, um, it was just felt natural to me for her to be like super protective of her younger sister. Um, so, and, you know, for all that they go through in the underworld, it just made sense to me for her to have like an absolute like loyal companion through the whole thing. I would think that if she had had a tumultuous relationship with her sister as well, I think that would have been like just a tad too much conflict for Sam. Cause I mean, Sam has already so much that she's battling internally um, that, and then externally in the underworld, you know, in terms of like the monsters that she has to fight um, literally and figuratively, I just felt like she needed like, she absolutely needed to have that loyal companion or that, you know, that, that true friend. And um, yeah, I had to give her something, the poor girl. I mean, <laughs> she goes through, she a, goes lot. through a lot. <laughs> I, I have, I have sisters. So when I was reading this novel, I'm like, would I do that for my sister? Or would I just be like, girl, you can do it. We'll, we'll, we'll meet at some point in the underworld. <laughs> um <laughs> We'll just like, you know, I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll good luck, right? I'll send a horse. I'll send a bird <laughs> with a message. Meet, meet, meet me like after, like, I don't, because there's no days, there's no like marker of anything. Right. So it was just all so confusing. They're just in perpetual darkness, like literally and figuratively. So I'm just like, would I do this? Would I risk my life? Would I? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it I'm like I guess I would have to because I'm like what would happen to me like I can't do this by myself so I think that's where you're like you need that 
person that's like your blood relative to be like nobody knows me more than my sister right so I have right. to be like I have to I have to be with her because right. we have to go back we right. have to make it through right so I'm just like oh, come on okay Demi let's do this you can do it you can do it get your sword out you can do it <laughs> Yeah, no, I think like too, like that's part of the, you know, one of the the themes that runs throughout the book too, is that like, you know, that, that, those blood ties, man, they are strong and your, you know, your family is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like, like you, you don't, you don't mess with that bond between, between sisters. Yeah. You can try, but I don't think you can succeed. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what at least, um, Samir like showed us. Right. No, nobody can mess with my sister. You, it's me first before her. Mm. Right. That right. Kind of so would you provide uh, a bit of backstory to, to Sam and uh, Rima's mom? How did she come into your mind when you were creating her? And was her like gambling problem one that developed over time after her husband's disappearance? Or did you see this as an addiction that she held prior? Um, I think that she was always, um, I don't like, like had sort of a risky lifestyle in previous drafts. I actually had her much more mm, living dangerously. Let's just put it that way. So she had in, in early drafts, she had a boyfriend who was a drug dealer, um, and that Sam and Rima were in more danger in their home life than in the final version of the book, um, decided to tone that back. It was just, it was a little too much. Um, I didn't want to make, I, I wanted her to be an irresponsible mom, but I didn't want her, I wanted her to still be, obviously she loves her children. Um, but she just doesn't have the emotional or um, she doesn't have the tools to like get it done the right, not necessarily the right way, but in the, you know, in a, in a responsible adult way, she has her own demons that she's fighting and she, she doesn't fight them as well as Sam fights hers, I guess you could say. Um, so no, I always kind of imagined her as this is just who she is. This is how she's lived her life. Um, yeah. And, and I do think that I, you know, I definitely played with like how much of that in, in order to make it serve the story and Sam. Um, so her character was sort of created around what I needed for Sam's conflict and for Sam's goals, her goals to keep her family together. In your book, Rima, <laughs> Samira's sister thinks that they are having a, a bad illusion uh, due to some spoiled cream cheese that they had eaten for breakfast. Why did you allow Rima to stay in that moment of like slight doubt and not fully accept what was happening during during this this journey? And before you answer this, this have you ever watched um, uh, The Good Place? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've only seen the first season. Oh, I, don't, okay. I don't know if I got, I don't know if I maybe part of season two, but yeah, no, I never finished it. So in the last season, this doesn't give away anything, but in the last season, there's a new character that, that goes to the good place and they think that they are, have probably had a stroke or in a coma and they do not believe it. So they're, 
they're doing all of these things to the people, like pushing people in the pool and, you know, just doing very silly, wearing silly clothing. So that particular part of, of your novel reminded me of, of that uh, part in the television show. I was just really curious as to, I kind of thought it was very funny every time she would bring up the, the cream cheese. And I'm like, <laughs> whatever you need to tell yourself <laughs> to, keep it, to keep it together. Right, right. <laughs> So I just wanted to know why why did you allow that character not to fully accept where where she was? Um yeah, I mean I think it's partly just Rima's sense of humor too, you know, like she's that it's just, you know, she's quirky. The stuff that she says is just, you know, like it has a hint of humor to it, even if it's like a you know, dark and serious moment. Um but you, do you did you guys ever read Libra Bray's novel where the I can't remember the name of it. The kid has mad cow disease and you don't find out until the end that the entire thing has just been like some trippy um, like mind create. It's just like in his mind. What's the name of that? I can't remember. But like the whole the whole novel is just like this crazy trippy experience. And then you find out it's because he's dying and he's like hallucinating the whole book. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, we're always like fluctuating between like a state of like your, your internal, your thinking, your, you know, you're in the past, you're in the present, you're in the future. Like our minds are constantly fluctuating between like daydreaming. And, um, you know, I, I think like our entire, like the dreaming that we do at night, I think is completely fascinating to me. And so I do feel like, like that was another thing. It's like, there's, there's just like these layers of reality. Like there's these layers of like how we live um, and, you know, bundled into that, you know, there are the layers of like, are you alive? Are you like a ghost in the underworld? Are you in between? Can you, can you go across those planes and shift your shift from one dimension to another? So I feel like, you know, it's all like, it's very, it's slippery. Like we like to tell ourselves as human beings that like, we've got a grasp on stuff. We've got a grasp on reality. It's, I feel like it's all just one big slippery plane. And, you know, like you take a step sideways and you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think that's where the term adulting came from. Cause sometimes too, you know, you, you just don't want to do it in your brain and your con- consciousness, subconsciousness don't really want to do it, but he- here we are. Right. And I appreciated, um, I appreciated Rima's like sense of humor a lot because at times that when it's really, really, really bad, and then you would hear her like do this like comments and like snide remarks, it would bring me back to like, oh yeah, that's right. These are two teenagers just trying to get home to Michigan. Come on. Look, because <laughs> like, you know, like there's monsters, there's death, there's gods, and then Rima talks and then like, yeah, teenagers, Denny, come on. <laughs> Right. <laughs> she just wants to get back home. Yeah. Um, so we, just, we just want to find home and she just want to get back to her like old life, you know, eating Dairy Queen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of food, yeah. uh, <clears throat> two of the greatest universal connections for people to find community and friendship, I've always thought has been music and food. Um, throughout this past year, we have read several books that really create a space for food to be not, maybe not always the center. Sometimes it's the center, but sometimes it's like a reoccurring character. 
Um, you provided recipes at the end of your book. Will you talk to us about why you wanted to include these Lebanese staples in your book? Yeah, so um, like a lot of the world building that I pulled into this book, like the language, um, the, the clothing, everything, the food, I kept layering in more and more. And honestly, part of it was during the editorial process because my editor was like, I think you could add more food. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Like, I've already added a lot of food. She's like, you can add more, add more food. So <laughs> I just kept going through the manuscript and I'm like, well, I could, you know, we could do a little more here. I could do a little more there. So, I mean, that was like a process of just, you know, let me, let me see where else I can add some dishes. Um, but I mean, definitely that was like, so inspired by all of my favorite dishes that I grew up. Cause like, you know, going to my grandmother's house on the weekends, um, we would go every Sunday for a Sunday dinner and just the smell of her house. Like I can still smell that house to this day. Um, and it's just like, it's such a powerful, for me, it's like such a powerful connecting point to my, my upbringing and to all of these cousins who I've never even met. Like there's the food, the food connects us all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed thinking of new dishes. And also that was part of the research too, because I'm like, well, what would they have had in ancient Lebanon that, you know, in terms of like the geography, like now that they're at the seaside, the food would be different here. So like there's more seafood when they're um, at inside and then they, you know, the, the, the food does change a little bit in terms of the geography. Um, I had a lot of fun researching that too. I mean, I Googled a lot of recipes and just, um, looked through our family cookbook. Um, yeah. So also the recipes at the end, again, that was also my editor. Like she wanted the back matter, which was great. Like I wasn't really expect, like when my manuscript was submitted, when my agent submitted my manuscript, when we were shopping it, that's the back matter was not there. Um, my author's note was there, um, not in its final form, but my author's note was the only thing in the back. There were no recipes, there were no photos or anything. So that was all added after Holiday House acquired and my editor um, wanted to add that stuff. So I'm super grateful to her for that, um, that she had that vision to, to add that back matter because people seem to really love it. Like I've gotten a lot of comments about you know, the, I think a lot of people have like, like they flip to the end and they read the back <laughs> before they actually, it seems like that's what my family's doing. They're like, oh, we love the back of the book. I'm like, well, that's great. Have you, have you actually read the novel yet? <laughs> You're like, oh, I saw pictures. That, that, that's so like old, older people. They're like, oh, yeah. these pictures in the back. Oh, look at them in 1962, 1952. <laughs> But it definitely perked, perked interest to me. And um, I I tried not to look at the back because I tried to finish the story because I'm like, maybe the back would give away a lot. So I was like, no, we'll, we'll start from the beginning. But I, it was it was it was kind of like a treat because you were like, oh, these things are based on like real people, real life. So and yeah. it, you think I'm like, oh, are any of this was really real <laughs> or she just all made this up. <laughs> So you you have mentioned um, Halil Gibran earlier um, and, you know, how you wanted him, his ghost to at least sit with you because you have a lot of questions. And and you said, like, um, you mentioned him in the novel. You mentioned him in the beginning of the novel. How has his um, 
uh, writing inspired you and like, you know, your life, your books? Yeah, I mean, he's a um, fascinating guy in terms of like, so he came to the United States um, and he could not read or write Arabic. Um, he had like very fundamental, like very rudimentary skills in re reading and writing Arabic, his native language. And then he came to the United States and learned English so well. Um, and then he also learned written Arabic too. Um, but he learned English so well that he wrote the prophet, which is his most famous work in English. Like, so I'm like, cause I'm I like I've been trying to learn Spanish for like I don't know forever like and I'll never be completely fluent like I can have a conversation and I'm sure it's like cringy to you know whoever I'm talking to like I can have a conversation but and like Arabic I mean I know very little so I'm like how do you like what part of your brain like I want that like I I wish that I could, if I, if I had a superpower, it would be to learn foreign languages, like pick them up like some people do. So, but what he would do was he would just practice. Like he would write sentences over and over again. Like he just forced himself to, to do it, just to write in English. Um, and he had mentors and friends who would help him and correct his, his grammar and everything. But like, I just find that so amazing that like this illiterate, poor, you know, kid from the Lebanon mountains comes to Boston and learns how to, learns English and to the point where he writes his most famous work in English, like just amazes me. Um, but yeah, like his work is also like full of like mythological, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like inspiration like he sort of created his own mythologies um but you know like you can just see like how his yearning for his homeland is is all in his writing as well so you know it's it's like everything I love it's poetry it's Lebanese you know it's like the language the mastery of the language um yeah and he was an artist too. So he, you know, he, he, he has some art integrated into it, which I think is interesting as well. Um, I know when we were, uh, you know, introducing you and reading your bio, you, it, it talks about you have been a, a copy editor um, and uh, teaching in the university level. So I was just curious, like now with this being your second book, are you a full-time writer? And if so, has that how has that switch been for you, or, or are you doing other things in addition to writing full time? Um, so yeah, so now like I I writing is just my thing. I mean, I do have two kids, <laughs> so I mean, like I you know I do have like a very full personal life. So like it's when when I say full time writer, like I'm not sitting at my desk for eight hours a day writing, like. Maybe someday, um, maybe someday, but I have a 10 year old still and my 16 year old is not driving yet. Like hint, hint, <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm still very much like devoted to keeping my kids lives running smoothly, but yeah, so I, so like in, in previous writing, um, you know, my, my previous writing life, I, I wrote like 
magazine articles about ceiling fans. I wrote um, copy for websites. I wrote um, copy for an accounting firm. Like I wrote all kinds of business stuff. Um, I wrote copy for um, a pasta company. So I did like the packaging copy. I did copy for their like Christmas food catalogs. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I would like take anything as a freelancer. I would just like, yeah, sure. I can write, I can write about that. So, I mean, I learned about exciting like tax stuff so I could do newsletters for a tax accountant. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, like back, you know, when I was doing that, that was like, even though they were like newsletters that were printed by a local printer, it was like, oh, I wrote that and it's been, it's been published. <laughs> um, you know, in the magazine articles, even though they were about ceiling fans, it was like, oh, there's my name in print, you know, so like, that's, that's kind of how it started. And I, I did continue with that. And I taught at the university level for a while, um, while I was writing relativity. Um, but yeah, so, so now, yeah, at this point, I'm just working on the next book. While living in Florida, did you have any difficulty in getting your uh, work published versus, for example, if you, we lived in like New York City, where it's like the hub of like, you know, the literary world yeah. here in the United States? I don't think it makes any difference at all. None whatsoever. Um, I mean, I think like being in New York is more important for like agents and editors, maybe. But even now with COVID, like I, that whole like networking thing has fallen off. Um, and I, it'll be interesting to see if things go back to that um, or if, you know, people are going to not not have to do that in-person networking as, as much as they did before. It'll it'll be interesting to see how things go forward. But as far as authors go, I don't think it makes any difference where you live, um, you know, and I the the story that I'm working on right now is set in Florida. So, um, you know, I think it's like, how boring would it be if all, if all authors lived in New York? Like, <laughs> I think we'd have a lot of books that were set in New York. <laughs> Thank Probably you. Too many. Thank you so much for, for setting your next book in Florida, because like for me being a, you know, uh, a Floridian, it's it feels good to be able to read things with your state mentioned in it because we've had several conversations with other authors who are originally from Florida and we talk about how you know the south is not seen as a literary place which you know is the mean for the question that Denny asked because you know when people think about literature they're thinking about New York City or California like um, metropolis area types and the south you know people don't really say oh you know I want to read what this person has written be it if the author themselves is from the south or the setting takes place in the south um and you know I can't really include Miami because Miami always feels like its own its own right, pace right so right, right. You know, I just want to say thank you for 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 doing doing that we need more of that um so with this this novel um being heavily influenced by your Lebanese culture and finding its place in young adult world of fiction what do you want publishers to know about the impact of creating more stories where middle eastern voices are the lead as well as the 
creators of the books teenagers read? Yeah, so, I mean, as far as I know, this is the first YA novel set in Lebanon, like, or, you know, or dealing with like a Lebanese mythology, um, which like, when you think about it, it's kind of shocking. It's like, why? Like it's 2021 and you know, this is where we are. I, I really hope that, um, there are more writers who come after me that, you know, that, that continue with this, you know, the, just paving new pathways for, for authors and bringing stories because like, I think it's so important for, um, for all of these stories to be shared and for authors to connect with their heritage and to, you know, for me, it was just such an enriching experience to just like tap into that, those memories and, um, you know, my, just my family and everything. I, I hope that this continues. Like, I hope this isn't like a trend, like this better not be like a vampire trend. And then we're done with it. You know, like, yeah. like we need to keep going. Cause I mean, like when I look back to on the books that I read when I was a kid, first of all, there was hardly a YA, like that whole category didn't even really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started reading Stephen King when I was like way too young to be reading Stephen King. Cause there was like, no, why? Like I, you go from like, you know, Baby, like, I read when I was little. Yeah, like Beverly Cleary and uh, Judy Bloom or whatever. And then like, <laughs> oh, now I'm reading Stephen King. <laughs> like that jump. Yeah, like there's nothing in between. Um, and there were definitely no characters like me. There were no, there were no Lebanese American kids or Lebanese stories in the in mainstream. You know, you couldn't go to the library and, and get anything with with anyone who looks like me or or had a family like mine, um, it just didn't exist. So, and when, when I was first starting to write, um, and I was, I was writing stories that were based on like my grandmother's cooking or, um, a, there was a story that I wrote about a traditional Lebanese dance. It was a middle grade this was back, like, this is going back to the point where you could still submit directly to some editors. Like the agent was still optional. That's not so much now. I mean, I think there are a few houses left that will take um, unagented manuscripts, but, but back when I was submitting this stuff, it was still, there were still a fair number of houses that would take unagented um, manuscripts, but like Lee and Lowe publishing was the only publisher that would even look at what they called multicultural stories back then and so it was like oh so I can like send this to like one publishing house um like there just wasn't even anywhere to send it like no one would take it I would get rejections back that would be like oh this is a lovely story but it's too quiet in other words like it's not going to make any money like so there's there's no place for it because it didn't have any commercial um appeal so I mean that went on for a very 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 long time so I mean I'm sure if I went back through my files and looked at the dates on some of those manuscripts it was you know it's it's this has been like a way too long time coming for for us to catch up to this moment so very happy that we're finally here you're here you're here yeah and that's why we do this podcast Mm because you know we want to highlight 
people like you, people like me, people like her, that, you know, we got something to say and we have stories to tell. And most, most of the time, our stories are the most colorful, most wonderful. They're full of like magic, mystery. And, you know, it's like going into reading your stories, like going into somebody's house and meeting all of your family and more. Mm. It's like knowing your backstory. And then you're like, let me like, you know, you basically told me, hey, Denny, let's go inside my room. I'm going to tell you a secret Mm. and this whole secret. And I just come out of your room and I'm just like, when can I come back to your house? Because I might I might need those dumplings and more secrets. Right. (laughs) That's how I felt. So, you know, if you made me feel that way and I'm like an adult, I'm sure like, you know, teenagers or young adults would would feel you know seen and accepted especially because I think you are right this is the first like Lebanese young adult fiction ever so yeah I mean I I I I hope that we like I really do hope that this is like something that that this is the beginning and and that this is like uh something that will be a permanent and growing part of literature forever it's forever yeah do you see your yourself writing a second book for for vial of tears or is this the end of the of the journey for these characters um so I wrote the ending so that it was both a solid ending and it left just a tiny bit of wiggle room (laughs) so um we'll see I actually need to I'm gonna talk to my agent next week and just get a little like update on you know where we might be with that, but I don't know. At this point, I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I have ideas for for some characters. Um, I have some ideas for some plot points, but I haven't actually started writing. So, so yeah. So I'm not I'm not under contract for a second book. Well, we we hope that that can also, come about. We also have ideas. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, if I you know if I sign a contract, I'm calling you guys, and we'll have to meet up in Orlando. And- <laughs> Pick up your phone. Yes, because yes, we're like, maybe this is why this, because maybe this is happening. <laughs> we we were just blabbing our mouths. Yes. <laughs> and yes. ho- and hoping for like, you know, oh, maybe this would happen. This would be next. Sorry, y'all. We can't talk about it. You just have to read the book it's and just, you'll know. It's too many spoilers. Too many spoilers. Yep. Yeah, right. Mm. It's jam-packed. Yes. It's very exciting. To the brim. Mm. So the last question of the evening is one we ask everybody. Everybody gets asked this question. So we want to know, what are your top five books of all time? Oh my gosh. Um, Okay, so like going back to like the first book maybe that completely blew me away as an adult, um, Cormac McCarthy. I don't like, does anyone ever say Cormac McCarthy? (laughs) Probably not. Okay. So let me preface that by saying, so like I got an MFA in poetry and creative writing and the fiction writing people in our program. And so I was in the poetry program and there were the fiction people in the program. Like I was friends with the fiction like we were very divided group but the fiction writing friends would give me like their books that they were reading that they were they were inspired by and that was one that a friend gave me in grad school the language in that book is just 
Cormac McCarthy is like stream of consciousness, um, poetic. And so it's all about the language for me in those books. Like, it's just like stunning. Like you stop and just like a sentence just like takes your breath away. Mm -hmm. So love Cormac McCarthy. Before that, who's very Cormac McCarthy-esque, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Um, Again, like just like, I guess probably since we were talking about how like there's this sort of like slippery slope of like consciousness. Um, His books, especially As I Lay Dying is definitely like sliding between like sanity and like one of the characters is kind of losing his mind as they're on this journey. Um, And again, like poetic language. Um, So that's two. Um, Let's see, three. Um, hmm. I don't know if I go back to like childhood books, A Wrinkle in Time would definitely have been like way up on my favorite list. Um, I don't know, like for like, currently like the stuff that completely blows me away I think that like I am inspired by like the weirdest stuff now like it's not even like I'm reading a book now about plant intelligence um because I'm doing some research for another book and like this is not exactly answering your question as I'm supposed to. Like I'm kind of breaking the assignment rules here, but oh no, um, that's fine. That's totally fine. Whatever um, your boat that you're like, that you're reading. I just like I I read like the weirdest variety of stuff, honestly. Like, um, oh, so um I do like a good dystopian st- still. So I just finished, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I just read um Leave the World Behind, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yes, really liked that book. Um, the city where we once lived is another dystopian book that didn't get as much buzz, but I really enjoyed it. Cormac McCarthy, the road, oh, station 11. Have you guys read station 11? Loved that book. Um, I I might have read that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a long book list in my head. Station 11. (laughs) Yeah. Station 11 is great. Yeah. So if I had to like, cause I like actually have like a little, section on my bookshelf it's like you guys can't see it it's behind you um of just like these like dystopian futuristic bleak books that I love because they're dark um and it's the road leave the world behind the city where we once lived and station 11 are like my top right now um so you're yeah, but yeah. for the times that we're in. <laughs> I do, but no, I, I was, I was into that stuff before, before the gory, you know, what we're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So like I read poetry every day. Um, yeah. And then I just read like this, like weird, like researchy stuff, you know, like the Phoenician stuff, like I, I'm always reading some strange, like scientific article like trying to get an idea for like cloning or you know like plant intelligence or whatever it might be so but that goes to show like the detail and the research that went into writing Vial of Tears and why it got that star in Kirkus why it is the best one of the best um YA novels that we've read all year long and and that's why you're on this show talking to us Mm -hmm. because we wanted to know how did you do it how did you do it so lots um, of research yeah 
thank you so much for joining us this evening. It has been thank a you. pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it being here. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, bringing us into the world of Rima, of um, Samira and Ishman. Um, I truly enjoyed it. And hopefully you get to make more worlds um, in the near future, hopefully sooner than later. Yes. Yeah. We'll be Thank waiting. You. We'll be watching. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Night. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.